Have you ever seen those Facebook quizzes that go around? And it's basically like a whole bunch of facts about you. And it's usually multiple choice. And your friends are supposed to guess which of the answers is true of you. Do you know which ones I'm talking about? The ones that you post and you're like, okay, I want all my friends to fill this out. And I want you to decide whether or not you think I like coffee or tea, right? And you vote in the comments. Or do I prefer the beach or the mountains? Do I like puppies or kittens more? You tell me what you think is true of me. Do I like punching or do I like kicking? Which of those do I prefer? Because sometimes the questions get weird, you guys. Like there are some basic straightforward ones and then they get goofy and they're a lot of fun. Now they've been making their way around Facebook again. They pop up every so often. Honestly, I think they're actually kind of neat. I enjoy reading them, whether I take them for you or not and tell you what I think about you. I actually enjoy reading through all the comments because for some of you guys, it's very obvious. I know the answers. I know whether or not you prefer coffee or tea, puppies or kittens. But for others of you, I have no clue. Like it's a guess. And in that moment, I'm, I'm just glad that there are only two choices. You know, I've got a 50-50 chance of getting it right. I also have a 50-50 chance of getting it wrong. And so I just think it's an interesting way to determine or test how well you know somebody else. In fact, how well you do on those particular quizzes usually is determined by how well you know the person that you're answering questions about, right? So I was reading through one of those that actually one of you guys posted the other day, and the thought occurred to me, hmm, I wonder what it would be like to take one of these quizzes for God. Because you know, I'm a pastor, so I have to hyper-spiritualize everything. It's like my cross to bear. I did it again, you know? Stupid, I know, I'm sorry. Cheesy pastor jokes, I'll try to avoid those. Hey, but I started thinking, man, like I wonder if we could kind of take one of those quizzes for God and say, you know, where would God land on some of these things? You know, would God be more like Jews or Gentiles? Which one would he land on? Would God be more wine or juice during communion? Which one of those? Uh, would God prefer Old Testament or New Testament? Which one do you think he might choose? Would God prefer dogs or cats? And we all know the answer to that because even God knows that dogs are better than cats, you guys. So I just lost half of you. I'm sorry. Nobody loves animals more than me. They're both awesome. But I really started thinking like, man, I wonder if, we could actually answer some accurate and honest questions about who God is. Like if we were trying to describe God, if we were trying to line out what his character and his attributes are really like, I wonder if we would have any clue what the real or correct answers are. Now, here's the interesting thing to me. Despite the fact that we might not be totally sure of what the answers should be, we all have opinions on God, don't we? Everyone has opinions about God. We have beliefs about what we think God is like. This is true whether you're a Christian or another religion. This is true whether or not you're a, a real believer or a complete atheist. We all have beliefs about what we think God is like. So there are some people who will say that God is a personal being that you can have a relationship with. Other people will say, no, he's an impersonal force that you could tap into. There are some people who will say, God is a him. There are other people who will say, no, God is a her. 
obviously. And there are some people that'll say God is an it, right? Neither. Uh, None of these other ones above, God's an it. People will say God is close and he's active in our lives. Other people will say, no, God is distant and he's aloof. Some people will say God is kind. Other people in our world will say God is cruel, right? Some people say God is conservative and he always votes with the conservative party. And other people say, no, he's a full-on liberal. You guys need to get with it. Haven't you ever read the gospels? Many people will say, you know, God's not even real. He's a myth. He's a holdover from a time where we didn't know science, we didn't understand the way that the world worked, and people needed to believe in something, and so God filled the gap. But now that we know better, we don't need God anymore. In fact, one of the best things we could do in our world is to push God out of the conversation, forget uh, whether or not he might exist or not, and just let that die. We are drowning in opinions about God. We really are. Everywhere you turn... Every face you see is somebody who has an opinion about God. In fact, it's somebody who has a theology. Now, you may not be super familiar with the word theology. The word theology actually comes from two Greek words. And the first one is theos or theos, which means God. And then logos, which means idea, word, concept. So here's the deal. Theology is simply a concept of God. It is a belief about ultimate reality. And if that's all theology is, every single person in the city of Calgary, including you and including me, we have a theology. We have a concept of what we believe God is or isn't. And so you show up here Sunday mornings, week after week after week, and I tell you all about God. And not only do I tell you all about God, but your mom probably tells you all the opinions and thoughts she has about God. Maybe your Muslim coworker tells you the things that he believes about God. Everywhere you look, people are talking about God. My thinking, though, is that perhaps it's time that we stop talking about God and we let God speak for himself. I mean, wouldn't that be cool? See, those those surveys, those Facebook quizzes that we take, one of the worst things is when you answer, you know, you're like, oh, I think you like tea, and I think you would choose kittens, and you go all through, and then the person doesn't tell you whether you're right or you're wrong. You're like, well, that was a waste. I need to know. And so for a lot of us, we have these thoughts about God. I think God is like this. No, I think God is like that. And what we need then is for God to answer and say, this is who and how I really am. We need to stop talking about God and maybe even let God talk for himself for a little while. Believe it or not, over the next four weeks, we're going to get to do that right here in our services. We are in the the very beginning stages of this new series that we're calling Four Things That I Wish You Knew About God. Now, that title is slightly misleading because what you're going to find out in this series is not more of four things Pastor Dan wish you knew about God. Instead, it's actually four things that God wishes you knew about him. These are going to come directly from the mouth of God, and then you can decide, whoa, the things that I thought were true of God, the things that my mom has told me my whole life, 
those don't seem to be lining up with the stuff that God is saying here in the scripture. So all four weeks, five actually, including this morning, we're going to be looking at one passage of scripture. We're going to go deep into one small section of verses. We're going to kind of track through it line by line, and we are going to discover some really fascinating stuff that God has to say about himself. So we're going to put the verses here on the screen this morning. And I want you to just read along with me there. Um, It's Exodus. So this is Old Testament. This is a long time ago. This conversation happened probably 3,000, 3,500 years ago. It's quite a long time in the past. And we read in Exodus chapter number 34 about a man named Moses. And Moses might be a somewhat familiar name to you. If you've ever seen the, the Disney movie, The Prince of Egypt, that's about Moses. If you saw Exodus, you know, the big budget blockbuster that came out a couple of years ago, that was the story of Moses. And so we read this story about this guy. He was like a shepherd. He was an Israelite. And God actually appeared to him and said, Moses, I've got big plans for your life. There's something huge I want to do through you. And so God starts to lay out the plan that he has. And the scripture says that he and Moses actually talked face to face as a man would talk to his friend, which is a pretty weird way to have a conversation with God. We're going to look at that a little more deeply next week. But here in verse number five of of chapter 34, the scripture says this, while they were having a conversation, the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with Moses. Whoa. This would be pretty freaky. I'm going to be honest with you guys. If God showed up right now, I might be a little scared. I might be a little freaked out because this does not happen every day. I mean, at least in my life, maybe it happens all the time for you, um, but I doubt it. It didn't happen all the time for Moses either. This was shocking. You guys, this was totally surprising. And the scripture says, the Lord came down and appeared to Moses in a cloud. And then check this out. God called out his own name, which he said was Yahweh. Now, wait a sec, wait a sec. I thought God's name was God. No, God is actually a title. God has a personal and a proper name. We're going to talk all about it, what it is, what it means. We're going to talk about why we don't use it for some crazy reason. We're going to talk about all of that next Sunday. So you're going to want to be here for that one. So God shows up in a cloud. He has a conversation with Moses. And he says, Moses, I don't want you to call me God or Lord. I actually want you to call me by my personal name. And he says that name is Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. And then I want you to notice that this is all first person. It's not third person. This isn't Moses telling you who God is. This isn't Pastor Dan telling you who God is. This is, at least the scripture claims, God himself telling you who he is. And he says, I am slow to anger. And I'm filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity and rebellion and sin. Right there, some of you guys are like, yeah, that's not the God I heard about growing up. That's not the God that people have been telling me about all these years. And then God finishes out his conversation or his statement, his self-disclosure, his revelation. And he says, but all of those things are very true. And I do not excuse the guilty. 
I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren so that the entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generation. Some of you guys say, yep, that's the God I've heard about. Yeah, there he is. He made his appearance. That's the one that everybody's told me about this whole time. Isn't that such a strange thing for God to say about himself? Doesn't it almost seem contradictory that God would say, I am love, I am faithful, I'm full of compassion. Oh, by the way, I'm going to judge your grandkids. Like, this doesn't line up, God. Why would you reveal yourself this way? We're going to spend weeks, three, four more weeks talking about exactly why God would use these words and what you can learn about him from it. Now, after uh, God says these things to Moses, the scripture says, Moses immediately threw himself on the ground and he worshiped. So the four things that we're going to pull out over the next few weeks, and this morning is really as much introduction as anything else. We'll start these four things next Sunday, but I want you to see them. Maybe as you go back this week and you read this passage, Exodus 34, 5 through 8, you'll kind of see some of these things teased out already. First of all, we learn from this passage that God has a name. He actually has a name, a personal name name that we can use as we talk to him. We also learn from this passage that God is love. We learn that God is trustworthy. He is faithful even when nothing else in your life is. And we learned that God is just. He's just what? No, he's just. That word actually means, as we'll see in week four, it means he does what is right every single time. So those are the four things that I wish you knew about God. And if you were to just walk out of here, then you might miss out on the depth and how life-changing these things really are. So I'm going to invite you to go on this journey with us. Give us four weeks. If you still hate it at the end of four weeks, cool. At least you can tell your mom, I did my best, mom. I went for four straight weeks. Get off my back for a little while, okay? This morning, rather than diving right into those four things, I want to talk to you about why this matters. Like, why isn't it good enough for us to simply say, okay, you guys believe this about God, and we believe that about God. As long as we're not hurting each other, who cares? Just let everybody believe what they want to believe. Why are you trying to convince me of anything different? That's certainly the dominant sort of logic that's used in our pluralistic kind of Western Canadian tolerant society, isn't it? It's just like, hey, if it's not hurting anybody else, then let everybody believe what they want to believe. And that sounds totally reasonable. It really does. It sounds very reasonable, but it ignores one fundamental truth about humanity, and that is that we all Every single person on earth, we become like what we worship. We become like what we worship. Or we could say it this way, what you believe about God will profoundly shape your life. If you view God or if you view ultimate reality, maybe you're not a particularly religious person, so we'll just say in in this series, it's okay if you define God as whatever ultimate reality is, whatever the final and full nature is of this crazy universe we live in, you could define that as God, and I'm totally cool with it, okay? Use the language that you're comfortable with. If you define God or reality as this world that we live in, you say it's all just a meaningless accident. 
If that's your approach, if that's your fundamental belief about the, the world that we live in, do you know that over time you will start to treat yourself and every other person around you as if you're just a meaningless accident? You will start to internalize that, then you'll externalize it. It'll become the foundational principle through which you relate to yourself and everybody else. It becomes the lens that you see everything that happens through. If you view God, if your view of God is that he's homophobic and he's racist and he's angry at the world all the time, do you know what? Over time, you will find yourself becoming homophobic and racist and angry. You've seen it time and time again in people's lives. If you believe that God is a good, you know, left coast, educated, affirming progressive, guess what? You will find yourself becoming a good, educated, affirming progressive. If you think that God is nothing more than a cosmic life coach, that he exists so that you can maximize your happiness and profit in life, it will strongly impact how you live every single day. The truth is we become what we worship. So our conception of God matters. There was an old preacher named A.W. Tozer, and he has this great line where he says, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Really? I mean, isn't that a bit of an exaggeration? Like more important than our spouse, more important than our orientation, more important than our tax bracket, more important than whether we cheer for the flames of the oilers. This is the most important fact about us. That's kind of exaggerating a little bit, isn't it? I'm not sure that it is. I'm not sure that it is. Let me read you a quote written by another pastor that I know named John Mark Comer, and his book, God Has a Name, is wonderful. I strongly recommend you guys get it. It's fantastic. It's short. It's an easy read, and it'll introduce you a lot to God. In fact, so much of what he writes in that book kind of formed and informed the content of what we're doing in this series. And I want you to notice what he writes about this, keeping in mind that we become what we worship, okay? He says, think about the ISIS terrorists beheading the infidel. Think about the prosperity gospel celebrity preacher getting out of his Hummer after late night drinks with Kanye. Think about the Westboro Baptist picketer outside of a military funeral. Think about the Hindu sacrificing a goat to the god Shiva. Think about the African witch doctor in centuries past who sacrificed a little boy. Think about the U.S. Army sniper praying to God before he takes the shot. Think about the peace activist risking her neck to stop another war because her beliefs in Jesus' teachings on enemy love. Think about the gay singer who stands up at the Grammys to say thank you to God for his song about a one-night stand. Think about the Catholic nun giving up her normal life so that she can live in poverty and work for social change. Think about all those varied and different types of people. And he says, each of these men and women do what they do because of what they believe about God. So clearly, what we think about God matters. He summarizes it. Man, this is a deep statement. He says, who God is has profound implications for who we are. We become like what we worship. And what we worship becomes foundational to who we are. 
I would argue that everything that has ever happened in your life, every action you've ever taken, every belief that you've ever held in your life, every one of them for good and for bad can be traced back to either a true or a false view in your mind of who God or what the nature of ultimate reality is. So we become like what we worship. And if we're being really honest, we might also admit that we worship what we like. We become like the things we worship and we worship the things that we like. There's this amazing study that was done at a, at a um, Bible college, and they took incoming freshmen, first-year students at this college, and they gave them a survey, a questionnaire to fill out. And the questions were all about themselves, you know? What do you believe, and what do you like, and what do you dislike in the world, okay? And then a week later, they gave them a second survey. And this second survey were the exact same questions, but this time they were about Jesus. And so they asked the kids, what do you think about Jesus? What do you think is true of him? What do you think he likes? What do you think he dislikes? And do you know what this study found out? In 90% of the cases, the answers to the two surveys were exactly the same. That these young students tended to believe that God looked exactly like them. See, when we get to choose who God is, when we all get to offer our opinions about what God is like or what he's not like, if we are the deciders, the arbiters of all of that, do you know what we end up with? We end up with a God who looks exactly like us. He likes the same things that I like. He hates the same people that I hate. He wants the same things for me that I want. In essence, I create a God that I'm happy with. I was uh, back when the sun was still shining, okay? So this was a long time ago. Um, I went to a community event that another church in our area hosted. Amber was there, Simone was there. We had a good time. And they had food trucks at this thing. That's why we went, because I was hungry. And so anyway, they had these food trucks and I got my food and I sat down and they had communal tables, right? So where lots of people could come and sit. And so as we were sitting there and I was scarfing my food, this Hispanic man and his wife came and sat down at the table. And so he took a few bites and I started asking him, man, that looks so good. What did you get? Where, which truck did it come from? So he told me all about it and stuff, you know? And then after a little bit of, you know, light conversation, I thought, oh, I bet this guy goes to Calgary Life Church that put on this event. And so I said, do you attend at the church here? And he was like, oh, no, no, I don't go to church here. And I was like, oh, cool, you know, no big deal. I just thought maybe you did since you were here. And uh, he gave me the Calgary religious motto. He said what everybody says in Calgary. You know, I'm just not religious. I'm spiritual, but I'm not very religious. And I was like, oh, cool. That's interesting. I hear that all the time. You know, I think that that's kind of true of me as well, but I'm probably a little more religious than most. I hadn't told him I was a pastor at that point. And so uh, I asked him, I said, so um, what do you mean when you say you're spiritual, but not religious? What does that mean? And so he said, uh, you know, I think there's a little bit of truth in every religion right? You've heard, I'm sure you've heard that before. I think there's a little bit of truth in every religion. I said, oh, cool. Yeah. You know, I know so many people that have that same philosophy. That's great, man. Cause there is a lot of great stuff that we can learn from every single religion under the sun. And I genuinely believe that even as a Christian pastor, but then I started pushing him just a little bit. Cause you know, it's what I get paid to do, I guess. And so anyway, um, it's not true. It's just a joke, you guys. Anyway, so I'm having this conversation with this guy and I said, okay, cool. So every religion has a little bit of truth truth to it. So can I ask you a question? He's like, oh yeah, sure. I love talking about this stuff. And I said, cool. Um, if every religion has a little bit of truth to it, how do you know which parts are true and which ones aren't? 
because you're assuming that there are true parts and untrue parts in every single one. How do you know which parts of this religion and that religion are actually true? And you know what he said? I just pick. (laughs) I just pick. Oh, so you decide which ones are true and which ones are false. Yeah, basically. Huh, okay, that's interesting, right? That's an interesting way. Because if I were going to put it more bluntly, you know what this guy was doing? He just chooses the parts of each faith system he likes, and he throws out the parts that he doesn't. And we're all guilty of it. Me and you, him, your neighbor, regardless of what religion they're a part of, We've got this cafeteria mindset where it's like, ooh, I like that, so I'm going to hold on to it. Ooh, I like that, so I'm going to hold on to it. But I don't like that. I don't like that verse in Exodus 34 where God says that he'll lay the sin of the fathers at the feet of the sons and grandsons. So we're just going to cut that out. That's not a part of my religion. I couldn't believe in a God like that. And we create a God that we like. We create a God that affirms everything that we affirm and denies everything that we deny. Now, if that's true, and I believe it is, and I think you guys can understand that there's a lot of truth to that, then what we believe about God says more about us than it does him. Okay, now, if we create a God, if we cobble together a belief system from all these other ones, that belief system that we have created says more about us than it does the God that may or may not exist. This is important. You need to understand this, that for all of your good intentions, for all of the studying that you've done about other religions and belief systems, and good on you for doing it. Most people never do. But for all of that, I want you to understand that your opinions do not reveal whatever God may or may not exist. They only reveal whatever your preferences and proclivities are in the world. It tells more about you than it does the God who may or may not exist. In fact, I think... It allows every single one of us to invent whatever God we wish existed. How do you know whether or not you've invented a God by kind of piecemealing your belief system from here and there and everywhere else? How do you know? Let me ask this one question. Does your God ever disagree with you? Does your God ever disagree with you? The author Tim Keller, he writes, if your God never disagrees with you, you're most likely worshiping an idealized version of yourself. That this God is like the best version of you because he likes all the things you like and he hates all the things that you hate and he does all the things that you wish you could do but you're just not able to do. And so we create an idealized version of ourself. We call that the Lord or God or the, the ultimate reality. We worship it And then you know what we're left with? All of us, we're left with a God who's tame, controllable. John Ortberg, another pastor I like a whole lot. I'm name dropping a lot of guys this morning. I don't normally do this much, but there's a lot to be said. John Ortberg says this. He says, we often work hard to create a God who is useful without being a nuisance. Oh, somebody give me a mic, please. I need to drop this thing, right? Like... (laughs) 
We work hard to create a God who is useful without being a nuisance. That is a God who agrees with me on what I need, a God who agrees with me on who's good, a God who agrees with me on who's bad. I need a God who agrees with me all the time. And if that's the kind of God you have in your life, I'm just gonna tell you straight up, it's one you've made up. Because if there is a God that exists, then he exists regardless of your opinions. Maybe I could say it like this. Our opinion of God can never trump the nature of God. Do you understand that? God is loving, even if you don't feel like he's very loving sometimes, because this is who he says he is. God is faithful even when every circumstance in your life is totally falling apart. God is good even when things go bad. God is just. He does what's right even if you don't agree with what's right. God is who God is. You and I can talk all day long and say, well, I think God is like this and I don't believe God would ever. But in the end, if there is a God, he is gonna do what he wants to do because he's God and we are not. When we're talking about God, we need less explanation and more revelation. We need less of armchair experts like me saying this is who and what God is. We need less good intention people who took a comparative religion class in college telling everybody about the nature of reality and God, and instead we need to go to the source. We need to look at what God has to say about himself. And I would encourage you to do that in lots of different religious veins. Go read the Quran. Read what God says about himself there. I want you to read what Buddhism teaches about the ultimate nature of things. I want you to read what Christianity says. And then I want you to decide, which of these do I think is robust? Which of these do I think is most descriptive of the reality that I see around me? And the conclusion that I came to and the conclusion that billions of others have as well is that God reveals himself through the Bible and through the person of Jesus. So I'm gonna give you two questions for reflection and then we're done this morning. I want you to think through these things and I want you to think how it applies to your life. Let me ask first, what are your primary sources for knowing God? What are your primary sources? Who or what or where do you go to to get information about whoever or whatever God is? Can I tell you some bad places to get your primary sources on God? YouTube. Um, Probably not a great one because you can't vet the sources, you know? Your neighbor who gets high and then just starts talking forever about the ultimate nature of reality. Probably not a super strong source from which to take your, uh, your ideas from. Pastor Dan, maybe I'm not the best source. Maybe me explaining to you over and over and over again, maybe that has the potential for me to lead you astray, right? Because I'm just a guy and I'm studying the Bible and I'm constantly talking about God. I think I've done a good job. I do my best, man. I devote hours and hours and hours each week to helping you understand the Bible better. But can I say the best places for you to go to get revelation from God are not places where people explain God, but instead places where 
God is revealed, where he speaks for himself. So that means the Bible is a great place to go and to get your primary information from God. Jesus is a great place to go and get primary information about God. The Holy Spirit is a great place to go and get primary information. But listen, if you're just cobbling together whatever you think makes sense from any other source under the sun, you will end up with a shallow theology and a God who never, ever disagrees with you. A God who can't help you when times of trouble come. A God who leaves you feeling self-righteous, like, yeah, I got it figured out, I got it all together, instead of a God who can challenge you, stretch you, change you, mold you, use you to transform the world around you. Second question, and this is it. When you and God disagree, who wins? When you and your God, whoever that might be, when you and God disagree, who wins? Because if God is God, then what he says, what he says goes. Like whether I like it, whether I agree with it, I mean, if he says it and I disagree, and I choose my thinking, I choose my logic, I choose my argument over his, do you know what I think about myself? That I'm actually God. That I'm the one who's in charge, I'm the one making the decisions, it's me. So you can learn a lot by asking this one question. If you read something in a religion and it frustrates you and so you leave, can I just tell you, you didn't really believe that religion in the first place whether it's Christianity or any others under the sun, because you have got to have a God who is capable of disagreeing with you, a God who is capable of saying things that you don't understand, things that you may not even like. That has to exist in order to have a worldview or a faith system worth devoting your life to. If you're not willing to let that be true, then guys, go spend Sunday in the mountains. Don't come here. It is a waste of your time. You will not be any better for it. Instead, let's let God be God. Let's let him disagree. And we're gonna wrestle, we're gonna fight, we're gonna be frustrated. I'm gonna admit to you the parts of the Bible that I hate, I can't stand. I wish Exodus chapter 34, verse five, six, seven, I wish it wasn't there sometimes, but you know what? If there is a God who exists, then he gets to be God. And I don't get to dictate what he does or doesn't do. Over the next few weeks, we're gonna be talking about God's self Revelation, his disclosure of who he is. And you're gonna see how wonderful and good he is. And you're gonna also see how big he is and powerful. He's gonna do things that you don't understand. He's gonna do things that you don't agree with. And that's the mark of a real faith. That's the mark of a robust religion. 